Your brain needs support, and new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L theanine, and caffeine, Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. My brand new book, Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth, is now available. So much more than a book, this is a guide that allows me to hold your hand through your birth preparation journey. With over a decade of experience and knowledge packed in to ensure you really are empowered in the way you deserve to achieve a positive birth, regardless of the twists and turns that crop up. Make sure that you get your hands on Midwife Pip's Guide to a Positive Birth Book now and are empowered to have the birth experience that you deserve. Hello, I'm Pip and welcome to the Midwife Pip podcast, the home of expert information and real chats on all things pregnancy, birth and beyond. Remember, as a podcast listener, you can get 15% off my online courses at midwifepip.com using the code podcast15. The power of our gut health on our own well-being is incredible. But then when we uncover the power it has on our children, It's nothing short of mind-blowing. Such simple changes that can literally have life-changing consequences, all because of the amazing little microbes in our gut. This week, I'm really excited to be joined by Lucy Upton, a highly specialist paediatric dietitian and feeding therapist with over 12 years of experience. She's now the director of the Children's Dietitian Limited and works independently to provide one-to-one and group dietetic services for parents run by her team of paediatric dietitians and support education for families. Ultimately, her passion is to cut through all of the pressure and nutrition noise when it comes to feeding kids, helping parents to support their kids with happiness and health through feeding and nutrition. She's particularly passionate about topics including the early years, food allergy, gut health, weaning, and food refusal and difficulties in children, which is why I'm very excited to welcome her on the podcast today. So hi, Lucy, and thank you so much for coming on to join me. Hi, it's lovely to have, it's lovely to be here. We've chatted about it for ages, haven't we? I know, we've we've pulled it off despite you being navigating a house move and obviously growing a human Human. and me being full of chicken pox, which is delightful. So well done to us, first of all, for pulling it it off. It could just be a a podcast full of cotton wool at the time we're finished. (laughs) Everyone be like, what am I listening to? (laughs) But do you know what? It's something that only only women could pull off. It's only women could have done this. Oh, 100%. Well done just just for being here. We've a lot we have <laughs> but I wonder Lucy if we could kick yes. off with discussing the words gut health and microbiome because I kind yeah. of feel they've become buzzwords in the health world and when when we hear terms so often it kind of dilutes what we're actually talking about so would you mind explaining what actually the gut microbiome is for anyone listening who's thinking what are they even talking about 
Yeah, it is really buzzy, isn't it? It's definitely trendy. And you know, it's not a bad thing that it's trendy because it's fascinating. And, you know, before we go on, the one thing I won't promise is that I'll have all the answers because you'll probably know this. It's actually one of those areas that we understand a lot about, but as you understand more about it, there's more you realise that you don't understand and that we've got such a long way to go to understand it in a lot of depth. But, I mean, what is it? You know, I think, you know, without making it too scientific, we're talking about... Uh, this huge variety of different organisms that we have in our gut. I, I like to call it like a gut garden. Like you don't want your garden to just be grass. You want it to be nice and full, lots of different flowers and herbs and species. And we want that nice diversity. So it's all those microorganisms, so things like bacteria, fungi, like these single cell animals. I'm trying not to throw it back to people's A-level biology too much. <laughs> And they collectively together get referred to as the gut microbiome. And the other thing that they do is it's not just those microorganisms. It's actually all of the genetic material that those microbiomes like have. And there is tons of genes down in our gut as well, which I find fascinating, like more than the more than the human genome. Like it's amazing. It's incredible. So it's kind of this big word for this collection of everything down in our guts. And it's really, really personalized. So, you know, we always talk about it being a fingerprint and that like you can't duplicate it. No two people's gut microbiome will be the same. Um, so, yeah, and it's really, really important for our health. And we are understanding more and more about how important it is. And, you know, we know what it does. So we know that microorganisms are there for things like digestion, taking nutrients out of food, production of vitamins. But actually, there's these really, really important points around immune function, protection against pathogens, cognition, regulating our metabolism. You, we're kind of delving into Pandora's box, really, when you start looking into how much it has an impact on health wise. And I think that's one of the fascinating things, isn't it? Over the years, mm. the evidence has really started to come to light around the impact of our gut microbiome that probably wasn't yeah. really there a generation ago. You know, certainly my my parents wouldn't have thought about their gut health when they were having children. It Not wasn't at all. It wasn't a thing. Whereas now it's really emerging, and that's what's so exciting in this field and in the field that that you work. But yeah. from my point of view, I suppose as a midwife and a mum to a little person, yeah. What interests me so much is how the gut microbiome impacts our babies and our children. Yeah. What's your take on that, Lucy? It's massive. I mean, and I think this is one thing that is really important to remember. I mean, you'll know as a midwife and people might have heard the term before, you know, when we're talking about children's health in general, we have this first thousand days super mega important. We're like laying all these foundations for health, for development, uh, for prevention of disease. And it, it kind of can feel a bit mind boggling, can't it? When you're like, what do you mean something I'm doing in when my baby is one or two or even six months old is, is, is going to like look that far forward? Um, but it is absolutely massive. And all of the data that we have at the moment shows us that that first three years of life is really key. And I often sort of talk to my parents about thinking, sort of why is it so important and you know you start off with a baby who really starts to get inoculated with bacteria from delivery onwards and even delivery as you will know can impact sort of what bacteria that they, they're first exposed to and then so within that first three years what we see is this sort of infant gut transformed from this largely sort of sterile place um although there is a little bit of evidence coming out now that some some microorganisms might pass the placenta we don't know a lot we don't know enough about this yet but there's some interesting information 
to having like an adult, like a, a thrive, a fully sort of fully grown, for want of a better term, sort of gut microbiome. So you've got this three year period to sort of really shape what it looks like. And there are so many things that impact what's going on in your gut. And if, you know, people leave this podcast with anything, I really want to highlight, you know, there are things outside of our control where we live, geographical location, stuff like that. Can't we do much about that? Um, but then there are things that we can modify or do impact, do have an impact on the development of the, this gut microbiome or these bacteria um, for better or for worse, really. So, you know, we've got these huge, so it might be helpful to talk through some desirable things. So things are great for guts, um, nature, dirt, <laughs> getting out and our kids getting messy yeah. and outdoors you know I've, I've had lots of conversations with with you know um parents pediatricians and people that I work with and think you know COVID when we were largely indoors and there was you know we were disinfecting everything you know like all of the shopping as it came in I really really interested to see sort of what comes out of that population of children in that three-year time frame um, but then we've got exposure to people and as annoying as it is, communal childcare is a good thing for kids' guts. I know they're all sure? looking the same. Yeah. Are you sure? <laughs> <laughs> it's like My house, I'm saying family. otherwise at the moment. Yes, I know. <laughs> Whilst the bill comes in, whilst your child isn't there. Yeah. But people are good. We like to share yeah. bacteria that, you know, lack of mixing is, is sort of less desirable sharing things is good. You know, we know that they probably, you know, everybody's licked the balls in the ball pit. <laughs> haven't they dribbled they're all dribbling on something um even things like pets and animals are a good thing actually for our kids gut microbiome and then there's lots of these modifiable factors that obviously I'm very interested in around feeding and feeding is massive for that early infant gut microbiome because we're looking at factors like breastfeeding weaning and progression through weaning and then sort of the diet as it evolves which as we know you know if I put some of my other hats on take my gut health hat off for a minute you know establishing good dietary patterns young is very very conducive to supporting a child's sort of journey with with food nutrition and prevention of disease for life so definitely definitely what children are eating as they establish sort of three weaning and into their sort of normal diet is really 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 important and that's all we want isn't it we want <laughs> our children to be healthy and thriving little beings yes. so the idea yes. that we have to park those uncontrollables, but actually yes. there is stuff we can do to help them. I think as a parent is a really empowering, positive thing yeah. to, to hear from an expert like you. One yes. of the things that I wanted to perhaps myth bust with you, Lisa, mm. to ask you, is it true that gut health can reduce our child's risk of allergic conditions? So things like eczema asthma allergies in infancy and later life because they're definitely conditions we're seeing a rise of aren't they yeah the jury is a little out but I think that we know that it probably does and there is probably so we need a lot more data in this area because sort of allergic manifestations can come across in a lot of different ways for children at different times um, but we do also know things like food allergy are most likely to develop in babies and young children. And what we are starting to see are some levels of correlation between things like um, antibiotic use and factors that affect the gut microbiome and allergic risk. And like anything else, it's much sort of multifaceted. You know, there are genetic elements we cannot control for around atopy allergic risk. But there is 
a you know a wealth of data now basically coming through about lots of conditions including allergy asthma obesity cardiovascular disease celiac disease and it's fascinating sitting in these conferences listening and going we're understanding more about what it might have been and I know the big money question then is people going what can I do to make it not happen Lucy (laughs) can I prevent food allergy for example by you know doing something in a particular way to support their gut health and I think you know there isn't a clear just do this and this you know one plus one equals two and you'll be able to avoid something but you know there's certainly some lovely lovely data there was a, a, one of my colleagues who's actually a fantastic allergy dietitian she works out in Canada now she's really really well known did a lovely study that looked at essentially the more foods that we got in through weaning so we call it dietary diversity just means variety how much variety got in so for every new food introduced during weaning the child's risk of allergic being allergic to food so allergy decreased and that's not just the obviously that includes foods that are allergenic foods which we now know we want to get in early and give often it was food and diversity overall which suggests sort of a really good relationship between more is better more of the right foods is better that's going to help sort of populate our gut with the bacteria that we want to be there and you know prevent you know prevent things like dysbiosis which is essentially you know when there is not enough of a good bacteria too much of a bacteria we don't want there or just generally this imbalance that may predispose sort of disease fascinating so that's a really great Mm. practical thing that parents can do when they approach weaning which is fantastic yeah one of the other things i wanted to touch on with you lucy is mental health because this is definitely something we're seeing a massive rise in in young people as well as adults and it's great that we're recognizing it but one of the things that certainly when i've looked into the evidence that seems to be quite high up there is the brain and gut access and how this is relevant to our gut health supporting our mental health and do you see much of that in your practice in what you're doing every day with families yeah do you know what i think I would be interested to know later on how my kids fare, because I think sometimes, and and you're totally right to bring this up, because I think sometimes we look so much at physical health and we go, how can I prevent this? I don't want my baby to have reflux colic. We, We go in with all of those things that are challenging us straight away. We sometimes think and forget about the impact sort of on, on mental health, but also sort of brain health in general and we do know that there is a link with brain health and it is again increasingly well evidenced now that the gut microbiome development and all those things we've talked about that affect gut microbiome development also impact that signaling between the microbiome and the gut the gut talks to the brain and everything loops back around again so we've seen kind of gut health be implicated in things like later disease like alzheimer's and parkinson's but actually when you start to look at risk factors for neuropsychiatric illnesses that we see perhaps you know that may start to develop in teenagers so anxiety and depression again more and more evidence coming through about this and it is so hard to kind of describe top level biology i mean i love biology and i love translating science but even you know we all sit there sometimes like oh how do we break this down to exactly what's going on here? But is yeah. we know that those cells in the gut are talking to the rest of the body, the immune system, the brain. So yes, there is a link there. And again, I think it's the way I frame it with parents is that when we think about feeding, so when we think about why it's important, one of the many reasons why it's important to support parents with breastfeeding, weaning, 
not getting stuck in sort of a rut through the weaning process and and sort of you know not getting the exposure that kids need to a good variety of foods we're really sort of investing now I kind of talk about it like an ISA you know it's the sort of thing they're going to want when they're 18 or 25 or older even though you can't see the benefits of it right now Mm. so I'm always like put it in the piggy bank for another day (laughs) so the way I often describe it in practice it's so hard when you can't see any kind of immediate benefit but it's totally worth it I mean, it's those small little changes, like you're saying, mm. you know, that that bit of extra variety in those early weaning days, which actually yes. is when you've got the biggest control over what your child's eating. Oh, 100%. So take, while they're off doing their own thing. Yeah. We can definitely, we'll talk about that. We can talk about, and, and I think people get overwhelmed when we start talking about offer them lots of foods and offer lots of variety, you know, and, and I think people immediately divert to those those fantastically beautiful, but I think hugely unobtainable plates that you sometimes see all over Instagram and stuff that yeah. put like, here's my child's dinner and there's like 15 different foods on there. And I'm like, wow, that's like that. It doesn't, ha- I think that's what people think it has to be. And it really doesn't. It and really, it's just really, really heartbreaking when you display it all beautifully for an Instagram picture and then floor. your child gets hold of it. Yeah. <laughs> and actually, yeah, I'd hair. love to see all the after photos. I yeah. really would. I wish people, I wish that I'm sure that I should I, be a I rule. I promise it? you, I will do this. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm a pretty before, I'm so before you've got to give and us after. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Like the reality is on the floor and the dog's eating it. It's up the wall. It's been spat out. You've eaten half of it. Yeah, but they've had fun. Yeah, it's exactly. 100%, 100%. 100%. <laughs> oh, it's so interesting. It really does it impact is. our entire well-being as little people and as adults. As adults, yeah. And you mentioned a little bit at the beginning, Lisa, about mm. antibiotics and yes. gut health. And I know this yes. is a massive concern for lots of healthcare practitioners it is. It is. at the moment. What is yes. the deal with antibiotic use and the impact on our guts? When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The, the short top line answer is they're not friends, which most people are unsurprised by because even the name, you know, when we think about what is down in the gut, they're very, very sensitive as well. And like antibiotics, particularly certain strains of antibiotics, but generally if we just get the paintbrush out, antibiotics across the board, you know, there are big studies, there are big systematic reviews that show us this big reduction in things like diversity so me thinking back to that garden at the beginning like oh we'll take down a few of these shrubs and all these nice flowers we'll we'll get rid of those um and particularly you know when we're looking at that we're looking at like strains of bacteria which are really important so bifidobacterium and lactobacilli um those sorts of the population of those nice happy good bacteria start to decline and we start to see sometimes therefore an environment where other bacteria that might be considered to be a little bit more harmful for want of a sort of better term like e coli might increase you know might increase and so you get this reduction in sort of diversity which obviously has an impact we get like lack of this 
sort of richness that we need in the gut garden. And that leads to this potentially this dysbiosis that I was talking about, this sort of mismatch between where we where the biome is and where we would like it to be. And I, you know, I really want to highlight, you know, as a medical professional, there are times when children need antibiotics. There's time when we all need antibiotics. Of course, absolutely. They have such an imperative role to play. And I think kind of a little bit of the responsibility now as health professionals, I don't know if you'd agree, is you know, I mean, I don't prescribe antibiotics personally, but is about making sure that, that we're using them appropriately. You know, so when your child is going through all these nursery bugs, you know, are we dealing with a viral illness here that isn't going to respond to antibiotics anyway? Or are we dealing with something where actually we categorically do need yeah. antibiotics? And, you know, and perhaps there's something about education for parents when it comes to antibiotic use and then ways that you can support sort of re-establishing repopulating the gut afterwards you know lots of people ask me about things like probiotics and mm. stuff like that and I would say it's an area that lots of health professionals still are a bit like rabbit in headlights because it's getting a bit like the vitamin aisle isn't it when you're like oh look at this choice yeah, yeah. which there one which one you know which one works which one should it be and you know again that's very individualized it's they're not all the same you know you'll be looking for particular strains of bacteria that you might want to replace and we need to make sure that those probiotics are bacteria that are going to actually make it to the gut because <laughs> lots of them don't they get mm. washed up in stomach acid and things like that so I think the thing is appropriate prescribing is key because we can't avoid it and I don't want any parent listening to feel dreadful because you know babies have antibiotics sometimes as soon as they're born and it's about it's about that risk, isn't it? And and weighing up the decision making along the way. Absolutely. And you know, like you say, if if they need them, then that the the balance of antibiotic versus gut health is in yeah. that favour of antibiotics. But yeah. it's then like you say, actually, what else can we then do yeah. to try and support support our little ones so they don't have such an impact? And then yes. really, I suppose, supercharging those other opportunities. So whether it exactly. is breastfeeding from birth, yeah. whether it is that weaning later on and getting that variety in or yeah. getting them outdoors for a daily walk, all those other exactly. little things that you can exactly. do. Exactly. Yeah. Um, but it's never a place of guilt if your little one has had antibiotics because we only ever do things in the in the best interest, best interest of our babies, yeah. don't we? Exactly. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. And you know, I, th- I think what's concerning is that there are sometimes these moves now to, to move com- away from them completely. And I've seen children yeah. get very sick. Yeah, and that's dangerous, you know, isn't it? We've got that, to get is that dangerous. You know, that's dangerous. It's all about a balance, and it's all about weighing up and decision. You know, decision making for your child in that moment with you know an informed choice. Mm, amazing now Lucy you mentioned mm. variety yes. I wonder if you could share with us some more kind of practical tips or tricks mm. that parents can do to support that very important as we now know gut yes. microbiome of babies yeah. or toddlers <laughs> I hope that you're enjoying and learning as much as I am on this chat about the power of gut health it really is fascinating and more powerful than we have realized for many generations. Gut health is one incredible way to support your baby's immune system, which is developing in the early days, weeks, and months of life, and is essential for them being well, thriving, and healthy children. But there are other things we can do to support a strong immune system too. Head over to www.aptoclub.co.uk forward slash midwife pip to find out more okay so i mean babies we could sit and talk for an hour on breastfeeding if i had one message if there was if there was just one thing 
the more you understand about breastfeeding and breast milk and the impact that has on the gut microbiome, it is astonishing. I could bore you to tears for about four or five, six hours on this. So I suppose my message here is that if, if breastfeeding is something that you want to do and that is important for you, please know that the benefits from a gut perspective are second to none. You know, there's, there's fascinating things within breast milk. So one of the biggest components of breast milk is something called human milk oligosaccharides, HMOs, sometimes people might have heard them called. Really interesting that there's such a massive component of breast milk, but they don't actually offer any nutritive benefit. They're not there for calories. They're not there for protein or fat. Their job essentially is to get down to the gut and they are incredible at supporting this proliferation of the bacteria we want in the gut. And there are specific species we see associated with that. And, you know, HMOs are really difficult to replicate anywhere else. They're very different from mother to mother, geographical re you know, region again, but incredible. It's fascinating. So breastfeed, 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 you know, it's a, it's a big message for me, but I think it's because lots of the other benefits for mum and baby are often talked about but what really interests me is are some of those benefits actually modulated by the impact breast milk has on the gut microbiome mm. do you know what i mean like we know it reduces risk of you know infectious illness we know that it does x winds out is that because at least in part the benefits that sort of breast milk mm. so i guess those of, babies if they're at reduced risk of things like ear infections chest yes. infections they're the, women, the babies yeah. that don't have the antibiotics yeah so it's like a yeah it's a like a real sort of like thing, yeah it? snowballs doesn't it it snowballs and it's really fascinating i was reading a paper the other day you know i don't think lots of mums don't realize that their breast milk is also, also full of loads of gut microbiomes there's a milk what we call a milk biome mum's you know maternal milk microbiome blah, 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 blah. get my words out <laughs> and it's so it's fascinating so all these you know and it's, it's incredible and there's the discussions going on about you know how does that proliferate and then loads of impact on immune health then it's amazing so breastfeed you know Anna, and i'll always say you know something better than nothing kind of mm -hmm. thing you know even the colostrum at the beginning that's massive yeah. so breastfeeding one the two is definitely around diversity and getting in a good range of foods for baby now caveated with I'm not being on a pedestal, <laughs> looking down, going, why has your child not had kale and chia seeds and, and all of these <laughs> things? You know, feeding kids is hard. Diversity looks like, can we offer a variety of different things that we know are important for gut health? So fruits and vegetables, you know, if you're getting st stuck in a rut of peas and broccoli, pick up a different vegetable one week, pick up Sometimes I've got some parents, they're brilliant. They're like, well, to start doing that, Lucy, all I did was go into Aldi and just buy all of the vegetables that are front on offer every week because it changes. So it forces you to, That's such a good to do idea, something with them. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Not plugging Aldi there, but that, that was an example. <laughs> That's a good idea. Though. They're in front of you. <laughs> you have got to walk around the aisles. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're there. They're in front of you. They're, the cheap, like, they're usually really cheap. They're usually in season as well. So great. Um, things like, so we know fiber, the gut likes fiber, the gut likes plant-based foods. Everybody probably would have heard this. So things like, again, looking at what you can add in. If you make a bolognese, can you whack in some beans or lentils? They're cheap, they come in tins. You know, actually they're a really cost-efficient way of getting extra protein and fiber into children, you know, compared to meat and fish and things like that. They're great to add in. And then things, you know, I'm a big advocate of like nuts and seeds because they're also healthy fats. And again, it, you know, you don't have to go out and buy the macadamia nuts that we all buy like once every four years to make the cookies. You know, it can just be the little bags of like flax seed, chia seeds, mixed seeds, 
and you do different sprinkles on breakfast cereal in the morning and you could do a different seed a couple of times a week. And, and I think that's what I want to make it clear is that it doesn't have to start with completely overhauling or, you know, there's some lovely sort of challenges that I see all the time for sort of adults where it's like, can you do 30 different plant-based foods a week? Don't burden yourself as a parent with these big things, but just go, what can I add in? I, I kind of, you know, I like the concept of nutrition by addition anyway, mm. because not only are you perhaps doing things that would benefit the gut microbiome, you're adding an extra nutrients too, you know, and so the child's good. getting a really good variety. And I think, you know, this is one of the reasons why people sort of follow me and I've heard me talk before, you know, I, particularly during weaning, there's lots of, there's so much advice out there about weaning. And there's often very specific advice that you can find online about perhaps babies with reflux or mm. sort of, sensitive tummies and things like that and there will be this advice to like give one new food just one new food every three days and, and I'm like for, for so many reasons no yeah. yes perhaps with allergenic foods where we're monitoring for reaction we're being more cautious so you know your peanuts eggs fish those sorts of things but the rest of the time you know from a gut point of view but also if I put my feeding therapy hat on and you look at all the data about how important it is children gain experience with food at that period in their life and it really is a critical window you know tip it's actually between about six and ten months which isn't long at all they really benefit from quick and fast rotation between these foods and no they might not be having five mouthfuls of everything every time it might just be a little bit or it might go on the floor but getting that variety in changing things up can be brilliant and wherever you can if you can make it easier adapt what have you got at home anyway what do you eat anyway how can you put a little bit of that in that how can you offer a different vegetable how can you introduce a different type of grain or you know those sorts of foods but it's a, it's a balance with not burdening yourself with it, but also appreciating that it can be very, very, very beneficial for children. That's amazing advice. And I definitely think that parents feel a lot of pressure, especially in that early weaning phase, mm. that their child needs to eat what's on their plate. Yes. Um, and we've always had a bit of a thing with our little boy, he's now 14 months, in that we will choose what he eats. And generally yeah. that's a, vers- a suitable version of what we eat. Yeah. And he can choose how much of that he does or yeah. doesn't eat because yeah. he's able to regulate his own appetite yeah and thank touch all the wood in the office <laughs> tonight he's a great little eater he'll eat anything yeah. and everything and loads yeah. of it yeah um, and I think that's because we've had that nice relaxed and he has eaten a bit of anything and anything he's shown interest in he's had a bit of a bit of we've yeah. rode, rode those kind of waves of when he's had a little fussy moment there hasn't been you know the favorite there's no dramas coming out so we no. just go with it and I think taking yeah. that pressure off can be a massive thing I think that's and, and I think do you know what and, and that has implications as well for children you know we, we know that stress impacts the gut microbiome and we you know I'm bringing it back to gut but I mean stress impacts children in lots of ways and stress impacts us as adults in lots of ways and actually you know I talk a lot in my feeding work about you know rule number one about meal times for me is making sure that the meal time is a place of felt safety for children that they they feel calm they feel relaxed that they feel able to regulate their appetite listen to the hunger and fullness cues and that there's no pressure around what they eat and like I know I mean I have my nephew enough I know how frustrating it is when you're like oh I really feel like I'm gonna, I'm gonna make him this avocado pea pasta I'm so proud of it oh it tastes so good and they just look at you and they're like not today and they kind of just move it around the plate and smush it with their hands. And you're like, oh, yeah. great. God. And I'll I'm just like, fine <laughs> to feel frustrated. Yeah, I'll just eat it then. I'll just go away eating it down the corridor. Yeah. Like, screw you then. <laughs> I'll have it. Um, 
but though you know that's com- that's completely normal that's children going not today eating is hard 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 work for kids and we sometimes forget that yeah. and I think keeping meal times chilled and as you say letting children have some autonomy over what and how much they want as long as we're offering it and it's balanced and it's varied you know and again this is where I sometimes see variety creep away because mm-hmm. when children don't eat out as you say come the rescue meals come the top-ups come the oh my gosh they can't go to bed hungry sort of mentality yeah. which is completely natural but then before you know it you know I've got parents coming to me saying my child has Weetabix for breakfast and lunch um you know and toast for dinner and then we've lost that dietary range as well yeah. so easy easy traps to fall into easy so easy because it's so emotive getting kids to grow and eat isn't it and it's something everybody everybody comments you know I always say why is it the forefront of everybody's mind well because people are asking you people are talking about your baby's growth before they're even born aren't they how big's your bump how How big's your big's your bump which center is your baby growing on oh your bump size has dropped and you know I'm certainly having that at the moment I'm like wow there's a lot of anxiety about this but you know I feel fine everyone else seems very everyone else is very worried about all of this you know and they come out how much do they weigh you know what are you going to feed them what are you going to and again there's sort of emotion involved in making decision making are you going to breastfeed? Are you going to do baby led weaning or, or traditional weaning? And, you know, yeah. it's, it's, I think sometimes it's going back and going, there isn't like necessarily right answers for everything, you know, especially when it comes to weaning and feeding, but like taking the pressure off, I think is key, you know, yeah, for parents, definitely. anything to take the pressure off. New parents don't need any more pressure than they've already got. No, no. Um, so I've no. taken taken that chill, taking that back. Yeah, just take a step back, and you know, kids kids do really well. It's, it's almost as soon as you become nonchalant about what they're doing at a dinner table they're that like, they start oh, doing fine. everything. Yeah, and they're like, okay, cool, this is great. We're really relaxed here, and you're focusing on your dinner. And the the you know, it's that moment when you're looking across the table, going with the big eyes. Can you see them? They're just eating that. They haven't eaten that for like two years. They're actually don't say anything. <laughs> Lucy you've given us so much helpful advice and yeah I know we've only just scratched the surface we on have. the evidence that's out there around gut microbiome which is just it blow it Massive. blows my mind it fascinating blows my isn't mind. it but I wonder if you could finish us off with mm. three top tips to boosting mm-hmm. your gut health okay I suppose adults can use some of these things yeah, too. Yeah, for sure. Okay. It's kind of so the number, same, right? Yeah. Um, number one, please get outside. It's not diet, but it's so important. Your kid needs to get dirty. You know, yeah, they're going to lick the rock. They're going to put stuff in their mouth. My nephew was, we were on holiday by the sea. There was a dead crab and he just picked it up and started licking it. And I was like, oh my Lovely. God. <laughs> and then I was like, think of his gut microbiome. Think of his gut microbiome. It's great. So, you know, yeah, we live in really cleanly environments a lot of the time now. And, you know, it is really important kids get dirty, they get messy. And that also includes with their food. I'm going to tag that on there and say, yeah. let them wear it. Let it be all over them from the sensory experience point of view too. They really need it. Yeah. Um, and I had an interesting conversation with a psychologist the other day. He was saying she feels like we're seeing more and more children becoming a little bit more sensory averse because they don't have these experiences so, yeah yeah we've all got cream carpets now we, we? have oh god exactly cream <laughs> carpets and everything's everything's beige or gray and white and, and it needs to be clean yeah. so that would be one um two would be variety and that's you know i've screamed it throughout this but variety think about nutrition by addition think about something you can add in even if it's one thing in a week can we add some sprinkles of seeds on some cereal can we add or try a different fruit you know that's in season 
you know, I quite like looking for those things that you don't find all year round. Like we go wild in this house for a shower and fruit, which only appears this time of year. And then we like buy about 50 of them. We're like, wow, they'll be here for <laughs> three weeks. So try in, something new. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And you know, just to say, it doesn't have to be fresh. You know, pick a different fruit or vegetable from the frozen aisle or a tinned fruit or dried. All good. All good. That's all a good tip in the current economic yes. times as well. Exactly. Yes. It doesn't have to be expensive fruit stuff. Yeah. And it, you will find that things in season are always cheaper. Like mm. we ain't growing strawberries at the moment. Have you looked outside? Like, okay, so <laughs> don't pick a strawberry, pick a Sharon fruit. <laughs> there you go. Um, so I would go with those. And then I think the third thing is to really think holistically. So think, you know, lots of practitioners, health professionals will want to think about sort of gut health holistically. So think about antibiotic use and and you know we all want our children to be well have honest open and frank discussions with health professionals about when they're needed and when they're not think about the impact of things like stress the environment you know mixing cleaning all those things I've talked about at the beginning that you can control or you have some level of control over um but don't sweat the small stuff don't sweat the small stuff I love that don't that's a good small stuff yeah don't because it, we are notorious for beating ourselves up aren't we as, oh, as mums so it's quite nice yeah. to, like actually there's little things we can do but when yeah. it's not all perfect there's lots of things and, and all aligned that's okay too there is no such thing as perfect but everyone is just doing their best with the information at the time aren't they just winging it just yeah. winging it <laughs> okay. Lucy you're an absolute star thank you so much for your Pleasure. time and your expertise and if you want to see Lucy's got some awesome content on her Instagram which is linked in the episode description so do go and check her out thank you thank you very much if you've enjoyed this chat and want to hear more on this topic head over to midwifepip.com where you'll find my accompanying blog post with highlights, my thoughts, extra information and additional resources. And remember, leaving a review on my podcast, if you've enjoyed listening, really does make a huge difference to helping me reach more women with honest, reliable information. So please take a moment to do this because when women support women, amazing things happen. Hi, my name is Kay Adams, and to be honest, I'm not so good with the aging process, so I enlisted my old chum, the filter-free Cara McKenzie, to advise. Could you imagine being a porn star? The room would need to be really hot for me to strip <laughs> off. To be honest, she's not much help, but she is rather amusing. And along with some great guests, Joe Brand, Andy Oliver, Anton Dubeck, Ruth Langsford, and Craig Revel Horwood, darling, we are learning how to be 60. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.